There's many differences between bands, drum corps and other marching ensembles around the world. From the uniforms to the instruments, to styles and abilities. But one factor that seems to be common around the world, the tour bus. Are you front of the bus or back of the bus? Do you sleep sitting up or lying down? What movies or books do you prefer on tour? What sort of bus partner do you look for? Up to now, we've looked at some of the history of drum corps, the audition process and the performers involved. On this episode, after months of preparation, practice and planning, it's time to take the show on the road. So Mallory, you know that part of what I do for my job and my daytime job is I work with a lot of US bands, choirs, orchestras that come to Ireland. I I plan their tours here in Ireland. I plan concerts and performances and rehearsals for them. So I'm kind of really interested in the logistics of how bands and groups get around, you know, a country. So Mm. drum corps is absolutely fascinating to me. I mean, I love the performances. I love the rehearsals. I love everything about drum corps, but the logistics of it and how you send all of these kids plus props and food trucks and volunteers and staff and to all of these performances over months, over huge distances. I'm absolutely fascinated by it. So this whole episode talking about the tour, I was really looking forward to it. And I'm really interested in finding out like what happens on tour, you know? Yeah. I mean, tour itself, you know, just speaking to the logistics of it in my head feels like a really daunting task because of all of the things you just listed. You have, you know, 150 plus kids, you have all the staff, you have all of the auxiliary staff like medical, and then you have the, you know, food and all the people working the food trucks. And then you have, and then, and then, and then like, it just feels mind boggling to me. And I have nothing but respect and admiration for the people who can put that together every year. But like, even for the kids that go on tour, you know, and you, you were one of them. Um, yeah. Like that's a huge chunk of time to be sort of away from parents and away from friends and family at home and putting yourself on on, on a bus for, for if three months. You know, I'm really fascinated with, with sort of the, how people, how kids cope with that. Especially if you've never done it before or done anything even near that scale before. Um, hmm. I... I feel lucky that my parents <laughs> had me well-traveled by the time I got to that point. So I, I at least feel like I was a bit more comfortable, but I know there are a lot of kids who go on tour and this is their first big experience because you can start drum corps at a really young age. So this is our first really big experience being away from home for that long without any of your, you know, creature comforts and really just kind of not completely having to fend for yourself, but kind of, becoming very self-sufficient very quickly and you kind of get dumped into the deep end of that amidst having to you know rehearse and learn your show and stay on top of your music and do a million other things it's it can be it can be very stressful you've hit the nail on the head too i mean not only are they trying to learn this you know incredibly difficult complex show but they're also actually trying to learn how to live as humans uh, and humans in a kind of a complex situation of being on tour sleeping on buses and in schools and eating from food trucks i mean there's there's a there's a huge sort of world to learn from yeah you've been thrown into a group that 
could have come from anywhere on top of that. So you have also the social aspect of it, which, you know, all these people are wonderful and you'll learn that by the end of the summer, but it's still really daunting trying. It's like going to the lunchroom and not knowing anybody. You're having to make a whole new brand, you know, whole set of friends again. I know just from being with, with my own bands here in Ireland, I mean, we can't travel for more than two to three hours in any one direction here, but we we had band traditions. We had bus traditions that we that mm. we had. H- had you got bus traditions? Am I, am I, am I going to find out some, some strange, <laughs> odd sort of traditions that different cores have? I am sure you will. Um, <laughs> every, and it's, you know, it's going to vary wildly from core to core because you know everything varies wildly from core to core uh but you know and even from bus to bus like are we <laughs> all of the cores that i march in you had you kind of had your drumline bus your brass line and then you had your color guard and depending on what bus you are how bus life was and how tour life was was completely different depending on what bus you were on so not only That's that funny. not only different between cores it's different between the buses in those cores so that's really funny that's i mean that's yeah. not something that i ever thought about but because you're you, you're on your bus bus a b or c or whatever bus it is for the entire tour you're not going to yeah. mix too much um at least on the from the traveling point with the other buses so you but why would you yeah traditions. like i sleep on that bus i don't need to go under your bus <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'll be honest the idea of the annual DCI tour was probably the aspect that took the longest for me to comprehend, and I'm still learning. Think of it this way. Most international corps or bands are very used to the idea of single events, competitions or military tattoos. The groups that do take part in a full season of judged events are pretty limited and those seasons are much shorter. When newcomers like me start following the activity, it's finals week that we normally see and the build-up to that one week can be missed. I asked John Denovi of DCI to give me a summary of what the DCI tour looks like and its purpose. DCI is, you know, among all the marching arts organizations around the world, it's unique in that it's, it's the one that really is predicated on, on a tour. Uh, so beginning in mid-June and all the way through the second week of August, the competing teams compete on a series of events on a, on a national tour uh, that could span 105 events and covering 39 states across the USA. It's a complicated chess game of arranging all the dates and making sure that the dates line up with where the cores originate geographically and that they can physically get from one place to the next each night. So they have to go into like a, a giant strategy room and to map out uh, how many miles there are between San Antonio, Texas, and Houston, and how many hours of driving time, and then how many hours of rest and relaxation time the group gets when they arrive. Because if they're on the road all night, eight hours, they're sleeping on the bus, you know, and so they like to get some some time sleeping, you know, horizontally in a bed. Uh, so they have to kind of calculate those types of things. There's also, um, you know, strict regulations, um, from the government about how long bus drivers can be on duty. So again, those things, you can't just have an unlimited amount of miles you can travel a night. So those things go into play. Um, there are the days of the week. Saturdays generally are the big regional championship events. And then the other events are, uh, more localized events that, um, 
afford these cores the opportunity to sort of connect the dots from one part of the country to the next, you know, going from weekend to weekend, getting into the championship regionals. Uh, so, so that's very complicated. So there's about more than 40 groups that compete on the DCI tour each summer. Uh, some do as many as 35 events. Uh, others might do slightly less. Some are in the 20s and some are even less than that. Uh, some of the DCI open class cores, um, by its very nature, they have a, a more compacted tour season. So they're they're not on the road all summer, but uh, they are going out more locally in the first part of the season. And then towards the end, they have kind of a, a two-week, two-and-a-half-week tour that they do. Um, but uh, these groups are generally getting together around mid-May uh, for what they call spring training. So they'll spend 30 days putting together all the finer details of their productions. And then around mid-June, they begin to travel from city to city to city competing. And then they'll make themselves, uh, they'll make their way to the world championships in Indianapolis. And then on August 9th, when it's all over, they all just, they all go home. They get on planes or they ride the bus back to their home city and they go back to their regular lives. So they, the kids will go back to college, they'll go back to high school and um, they'll have a couple months off and then it's time to do it all over again. Right around November, they'll start auditions and the next season starts to uh, take shape. Okay, so you've gone through your audition, you've been contracted, you've attended your winter camps, and now it's time to move in and start spring training. How do you even begin to plan? Austin Armstrong, an alum of Madison Scouts from 2015 and 2017, and a great vlogger about all things DCI on YouTube and Instagram, talked me through some of his tips. I packed a lot less in 17. And um, what I did was I was because I was in college still uh, over the summer, I was at my parents house in Indiana and we have a basement. And so I would move everything out of the room and I would stage everything uh, where I kind of have my piles of shirts and like a couple pairs of shoes and everything that you need. And yeah, create a list. But I found that if you lay everything out before packing it, then you can double check, triple check, do what you need to do and you won't forget it. Because you can, a couple days before spring training or the week before, if you just slowly put things together and slowly think through what you're going to need. And oftentimes, cores um, will give you a list of like essentials and stuff. Um, and that's helpful for sure. Um, mm -hmm. But I kind of did that and I mixed like the core list and then kind of what I used or didn't use in 2015. Um, I figured out that I needed a lot less um you know, rehearse or non-rehearsal clothes. So I really only packed one, one pair of khaki shorts for like a free day or something, which is <laughs> other people, normal people are going to be like, that's weird. That's disgusting. Right. But whenever you're wearing your core shorts and you know, you barely wear a shirt or a plain white t-shirt, if that, um, mm. you know, you don't really go through that stuff and the stuff that you do wear, you have those few laundry days or, you know, you wash out in the shower during spring training, which is, you know, drum corps is disgusting. We've all accepted that. <laughs> well, tell me about the bus box. You spend so much time on the bus that it must be really important to plan what you're going to bring onto the bus with you for the season. How do you go about planning what goes into that bus box? I kind of think by what's going to fit underneath my chair. So that's what you start with of like, here's this box. Is it too big? Is it going to fit underneath the charter bus? You know, is it going to 
there's so much little space that you have, but you can fill it. So we, we pack. The first thing that I learned is that hang things from the ceiling, right? So we use bungee cords and stuff and, and you'll just hang your, you know, uniform part. If it's not on the trailer or whatever, you can hang them up on the ceiling or a towel or, you know, Gatorade bottles or anything really. You can hang it up um, to keep it off the ground or keep it, you know, out of your chair because there's, it's cramped. It really is. Um, so that kind of what started it, like what's going to fit. And then once you have that box, uh, you kind of have to gauge of what are you going to use the most? So like I put my bungee cords in there and I'll put, you know, an extra set of earbuds or sunglasses or something. Um, and, and chargers, of course, uh, just bare essentials like that. And I kind of kept it more simple than 2015, um, 2015, it was more of a mess, but I, if you can keep it organized, <laughs> if you can keep it organized, tour life on the bus is going to be so much easier because if you're digging mm. around your boxes or if you're digging around underneath your seat for uniform shoes or, or anything, uh, for rehearsal, you're going to be late. You're going to miss something or you're going to be uh, slowing other people down. And so it's, it's all about keeping it organized really. Um, so I kind of got that into a uh, routine really, and not packing more than you need is, is re really difficult too for drum corps. Cause you know, you, people forget that you spend most of your time on the bus sleeping. <laughs> so. Right. Well, uh, you know, and you know, the, the, the old saying, you know, always be prepared. So you're, the, the, I'm sure the temptation is to pack absolutely everything you think you might need. Yeah. Especially <laughs> nowadays with connecti connectivity the way it is, um, whether people are bringing like different, I don't know, different clothes to change into in between blocks or whatever, just to kind of get more comfortable. So it's really balancing like are you going to, do you want to be more comfortable or do you want to be more efficient? And so I found that just having a neck pillow in your bus box, uh, your earbuds or whatever to listen to music um, and just some small little things to either remind you of home or just kind of take your mind off of rehearsal and stuff. Um, I also always had a big box of goldfish. That was just my thing. Uh, you just, <laughs> somebody always has goldfish to share. It's um, things like that, the little food snacks and all. I'm guessing that one of the most important decisions that you're going to make is going to be who you're going to sit beside for the entire tour. Um, how do you go about making that decision? How do you go about finding the perfect bus partner for you? Yeah, good one. Um, in 2015, I kind of, you know, as you go through spring training, you kind of form those friendships. Um, I don't know how what it's like um, in a co-ed core. I imagine it's very, very similar. But um, with our brotherhood um, or former brotherhood, what we did was, um, you know, you kind of find your little clicks, just, you know, like any other event or activity. Uh, you find your little fr your friend groups and stuff. But no matter what, you, you connect with your section and then the rest of the core. So really, it's just you and 150 of your best friends for the summer. Um, you know, sitting around and yeah, there's disagreements, but um, you can get over it. So I picked mine, uh, just a uh, trumpet player in 2015. He was great. Uh, just kind of, you know, hit it off and we're good friends. And then in 2017, mm -hmm. there's actually a kid from my area uh, from a couple towns over in Indiana that I already knew and he was marching mellophone. And so I was like, Hey man, do you want to, you know, seat up and whatever. And so he actually was a really good seat partner and like our families knew each other and everything. So whenever they, there was a show with one of our families there, it was like having, you know, extended family there. And it was good to have mm -hmm. that support uh, off the bus. And then on the bus already knowing each other, um, we really kind of connected on a different level. Um, and just, it was a great time to have somebody besides 
everyone you're close with around the core, it's nice, you know, kind of have a closer person to be like, Hey, this, you know, this is going on, or this was a tough block for me and, and blah, 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 blah. And you can really kind of uh, open up to them a little bit more. Uh, like we would call them bus chats. You couldn't sleep or whatever. You just talk shop or talk anything other than drum corps really in the middle of the night. <laughs> So these days, I know you're pretty active within the alumni of both the Madison Scouts, but just in drum corps. Generally, you still stay in contact with it. You still produce content about it. Um, what was it like for you to age out after spending that much time on tour with buddies for a number of years? What was it like to go through that ceremony and that process? Yeah, it's it's beyond words. Like I'm getting goosebumps right now just thinking about it and sitting in those stands at um, the age out ceremony and then everyone being called down after the festivities and you go off on the field and all the all the age outs are out there and you all have the same feeling. It's that electric vibe of, you know, we we've made it to this point. No matter what happened through the season, you are all on that age out field together. No matter what core, um, no matter where you came from, you got everyone there has done the exact same thing to get there and has worked just as hard to get there. And I think that that accomplishment as a group for the whole activity is, is one of the most um, excitingly overwhelming feelings that I've ever had. Finding Drum Corps is brought to you by DCI Experience Tours. Whether you're a fan, alumni, or a music educator looking to bring your students on an experience that they'll never forget, DCI Experience Tours have packages for everyone who plans to come to DCI Finals. DCI Experience Tours are hosted by Keith Kelly, host of the Finding Drum Corps podcast and operated by Celtic Horizon Tours. With over 25 years experience in individual and group travel, Celtic Horizon Tours will make sure that you have the best possible experience to suit your needs. Join Keith and the DCI Experience team for exclusive backstage access, VIP dinners, rehearsal walkthroughs, and much more. To see what we're putting together for 2021, 
or to start working on a custom performance and education tour for your students, head over to CelticHorizonTours.com forward slash DCI Experience or find us on social media at DCI Experience Tours. Join a band and see the world. I know as a kid growing up in my own band, it was the prospect of touring that kept me attending and practicing until at some stage, I realised I kind of liked this whole music thing. Touring and travelling is at the heart of what we do as band members, and our directors and staff and volunteers have got pretty good at it over the years. A drum corps tour though, well, that's a whole different challenge. My name is Pat Seiling and I'm the core director for the Blue Devils A Corps. For many years we used to call it core manager and a few years ago we just changed the label to core director. Uh, in many drum corps it's really a combination of being the tour director and the core director. And I've been doing that with the Blue Devils since 2014. I first met Pat Seidling in 2017 when he welcomed myself and a group of international fans to watch the Blue Devils rehearse. Pat's been involved in drum corps for almost 50 years and it's part of his family. He served on the staff of the Pioneers, Southwind, Madison Scouts and was director with Phantom Regiment from 2001 to 2006, winning DCI Director of the Year in 2003. Pat's now responsible for the huge task of putting the Blue Devils annual tour together. I couldn't have a better person to fill me in about drum corps on the road. The tour director portion of my job is really the bulk of my job in the off season. Um, you know, month to month in the winter, you know, I set up, make sure we have campsites, our rehearsal sites in the Concord area, uh, and make sure that all the facilities are arranged. We have the food truck there, communicating with the staff, et cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, I'm building the tour. I'm reaching out. Uh, once Sean Gallant, Dave Gibbs, and I agree on what the tour stops will be, along with DCI, then my job is to step in there, okay, where's the housing site? And working with uh, the housing coordinators, booking the buses, make sure we have drivers. It's a huge task, Work uh, all our support staff. And then, then we move into the next layer of detail where we actually schedule out day by day. Um, and we do that internally. I, I do that with the advice of, of usually Dave Gibbs and then Scott Chandler, who's really the program director. Okay, we're going to rehearse this much on this day and we're going to take that day off at some that all through the winter and then also working on the membership making sure everybody's got their paperwork in and signed and fees and all that in the blue devils the caption heads are extremely hands-on with the membership they select the memberships they run the auditions mm. they know these members names they stay in communication with attendance issues um, if somebody has to drop out they, the, the caption heads handle all of that uh, of course i'm always at the you know, at their hand, making sure all the paperwork's done, communicating properly, uh, but it's, it's a really team effort. I think if you compare it to professional sports, I'm more of the general manager, and they're the head coaches for their, you know, offensive coach, defensive coach, and they mm -hmm. let me know what they need to do with the players. So I'm doing those three things, building the tour, working on the details, and then obviously working with the caption heads on the personnel on the field. I do not do hiring and firing of staff. That First of all, we don't do okay. a lot of that blue devils at this, fortunately. Um, but that all that's between the CEO and the caption head, um, who's on staff and how that works. I don't involve with that. I also am not involved in the show production at all. That okay. in the Blue Devils, it starts in a very small team of Scott Chandler, Jay Murphy, 
Dave Glide and usually Dave Gibbs. And then they bring in the other staff as needed for production and all that. But I pretty much out of that uh, on most capacities, other than perhaps the props on the field. Once they get a feel for what they, that happens, and it's my job to make sure they get produced on time and properly. But that's it. Then when the core moves in, then I move into more of a core director hat, less of a tour manager hat. We bring in the tour team. I have three uh, people on the road with me that we make sure the doors are open and everything runs on time. Uh, and then a lot of my job really just comes down to making sure everybody's taken care of. The members' welfare, the members' uh, knowledge, make sure things run on time, uh, make sure the support staff is set up so they can be successful. I'm really just taking care of everybody in a core director mentality. And then of course, uh, putting out the fires, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> you know, we showed up to a housing site and the gate was locked or et cetera, et cetera. You know, the staff's out there doing their work and it's going great and they're having a wonderful rehearsal and all of a sudden the entire soccer team runs out. <laughs> I think the most difficult challenge of running a tour in these times is uh, getting the transportation arranged. Uh, vehicle rentals have become quite difficult especially semi-tractors. Uh, fuel prices are real volatile. It's hard to really predict. And then finding the personnel to go out on the road, particularly drivers. In America, we have a really big shortage of commercial semi-drivers. And so if you have a semi-driver license, you've got work in America. And so in the old days, when the drum corps would only go for a few days at a time, come home, go back out, you could get parents to learn how to drive. Uh, the requirements to drive semis and buses are so complicated now. It's not the old days where you could just teach one of the parents to do it and get, get them in the truck. Um, so it's really hard to get those personnel. And that's probably the biggest challenge. Probably the second biggest challenge is finding housing sites. Um, fortunately, I think with the Blue Devils, we go to so many places for so long. We have established relationships, but they don't take that for granted. Um, school districts, are, if they're not teaching year-round, they're certainly using their campuses year-round year now. 30, 40 years ago, they only had a basketball team and a football team. Now they have three or four soccer teams for males and three or four for females, and they have all these things going on. And fitting in a drum corps into the schools is just it's complicated. So I spend a lot of time uh, under anxiety, trying to find those last two drivers and trying to get that housing site at the last minute. And I think all my peers with all the other drum corps have those safety challenges. Over the years, Pat, I'm sure that you've had some huge challenges in putting the tours together, some emergencies. What are some of the biggest fires that you've had to put out over the years? Or, or at least what are the biggest fires that you're allowed to tell me about? <laughs> <laughs> so... Well, the biggest fire I've had to put out, um, I, I wish I could laugh about them, and, uh, but uh, unfortunately, sometimes it's an accident, you know, where someone really gets hurt. Um, when I was at the Phantom Regiment, we had a, a front ensemble. They took the pit cart with the big trailer. They moved everything out to the field. They all decided to hop on the trailer to ride back. We've told them a million times, don't do that. They were all on it. The young man driving it took the corner and the whole thing flipped. And uh, they got bruised and banged up, but the driver got uh, his leg was severely hurt. And that's tough because, you know, first of all, you're afraid for their well-being. And his injury was such that he, he couldn't finish the season and that breaks your heart. And so those kind of things are, are, are the big challenge. 
The other challenge, a little lighthearted, but I bet you every core director and tour director has this nightmare. They're going to show up to the housing site, and not only is it locked, but nobody even has any remote idea that you were supposed to come. <laughs> and uh, I have those nightmares three times, at least three times every tour, and I've had it happen twice where we showed up, and you know, I just talked to this person yesterday on the phone, but you get there, it's locked up, nobody's answering their phones. And then the one person that picks up the phone, they have no idea who you are. They had, they've never heard of you. <laughs> and you have, you know, six buses oh, and three man. semis in the parking lot at three in the morning, and you don't know how to get into this school. <laughs> I worked with a high school band once, and it was really funny. It was a local band, and I was the mm-hmm. assistant. I, I taught high school history, but I would be the assistant band director. And this band director, fine, fine teacher. Uh, we got a parade on Saturday, and so all the kids showed up to the band room. We got our uniforms on. They loaded the two buses. Uh, you're supposed to meet at the big shopping center on the other side of town. He drives out there. We've got all the kids in there. We're ready to go. Looks around. There's not a soul in the parking lot. I'm waiting by the my car, waiting for him to come up. He walks over to me, and he whispers. He goes, it's next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, well, you're going to have to go on that bus and tell those kids because they're not going to fall for anything other than you screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I blame the bus company, of course, the, to the kids. Exactly. <laughs> I, we, my other we, big fear is, is, is getting to the stadium and then just not have the show time. And that's happened to me once with Blue Devils not too long ago where there was a schedule change. I'm really good at staying on top of this stuff except that one time. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my goodness, you know, um, it's quite embarrassing <laughs> to uh, – get there and feel you have all this proper time and have to tell everybody you got to hurry up and get there. And I can't give them any other excuse that I just, I missed the change. It's quite embarrassing. (laughs) Okay. So what are the most important factors to a successful tour then? What makes one year more or less successful than the next one? Well, you know, what makes a tour successful from year to year is the people on the road with you. When I, I have a lot of experience doing tours, setting up tours. I've done it a long, long time. But when I got to Blue Devils, Dave Gibbs said something to me. At first, I thought, what? Really? And then I thought about it. I go, you know, he's right. He said, if we have drivers, buses, and cooks, we have a drum corps. Without those, it's not going to work. And I'm like, well, no, but because you need equipment, you better have a good staff. They better have a good show written. He goes, no, no, no. Drivers buses and cooks. We got that in line. Everything's going to work. Everything else will work out. And, you know, six, seven years into this, he was right. And um, uh, anytime I've been on a tour with a group that things weren't going well, it's probably because we're just understaffed and then maybe not the right people pulling in the right direction. And then anytime I'm out on tour with any drum corps, uh, certainly the Blue Devils, and when I talk to my peers running other drum corps, their happiest summers are when, hey, the wheels are clicking. They had this great bus company. The drivers are awesome. The cooks, we got plenty of people. Every They had enough personnel and they had the right people that were happy warriors and moving in the right direction. And then everything else just works out. Look, the teaching staff then doesn't have to worry about if the meals are going to be on time or if the buses will go the wrong place. They, don't, they can just teach and be happy and do their thing. And the members are certainly less stress-free. Drum Corps is stressful enough. The last thing you need to know is they showed up three hours late and going to miss sleeping or whatever. So it all comes down to the people and uh, having enough and then having the right people, again, that are happy to be there, are doing it for the right reasons and are pulling in the right direction. And uh, we've been been really blessed with that 
for virtually every tour I've been on. Um, a couple tours I've been on where maybe one of those elements was missing. Again, too, I look back into it. Well, that was my own fault. <laughs> Probably should have hired or brought on two more people or something. <laughs> um, how do the staff keep themselves busy on their tour bus? Is there any uh, shenanigans, as I'd say here, on the <laughs> on the on the staff bus? Yeah, I have a I have a story, uh, a Phantom Regis story. When and Dan Farrell, their longtime program director and then core director, he's just recently retired. We were the first drum corps to bring Phantom Regent to bring a rock and roll tour bus out for the staff. And again, that was my connection in Nashville in 2001. And I said, look at this bus. It's so comfortable. We have the sofas. This will be perfect for us all to sit there and converse and meet and plan. Sounds great, right? Well, those buses also come with satellites and TVs. And as soon as the staff realized they can get ESPN, there were no meetings. <laughs> there were no talking. It was baseball all the time and golf. And we actually had to put a moratorium. All right, the TV cannot be on during this time. We have to talk about tomorrow. And so it was kind of funny that uh, I always tell the joke, the ESPN almost shut down the 2001 Phantom Regiment. <laughs> um, <laughs> and nowadays, funny. you know, I've been on, on it with a couple different cores and all these cores are getting two buses. And for me, it's been fun to see the, the average age of the drum corps staffs and how that affects what, what happens on the buses. And, uh, you know, I, I hope I don't offend anyone with the Blue Devils, but I think the average age of the Blue Devil staff is, is quite up there compared to Bose. And uh, so on the staff bus, there is a whole lot of uh, watching videos and reading books. And uh, on my management bus, we're a little bit older. And so there's a whole lot of us just uh, happy to lay down and sleep. <laughs> um, and of course, the other big thing is uh, all these staff members now, many of them are no longer, it used to be most of your staff were teachers, band teachers, school teachers, and had the summer off. Now, most of these drum corps staffs, this is what they do. It's a freelance lifestyle. This is what they do year round. They're writing for bands and drum corps and colleges. And so uh, a lot of the downtime with these older staffs is they're out there teaching the corps and then they come back in and guess what they're doing? Right and drill for that band that needs it tomorrow, or band camps around the corner, or they're finishing the chart. And uh, it's kind of funny. By August, I just never see the visual staff because they're either teaching or finishing up those last-minute drills. Um, I wish I had something more salacious, but nowadays it's uh, staff members on buses watching golf tournaments or writing drill. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Just reading a book or scroll. Well, you know, I'm sure. I'm sure the the stories of what the kids used to get up to was more interesting in the '80s and '90s too, because they weren't scrolling on a phone. <laughs> so, yeah, real, oh, the phones. Yeah, absolutely, big game changer. Now, I could yeah. show you. We discovered an old handheld uh, video on the Blue Devil staff bus in 1982. It was actually a funky old big RV, and this entire staff we now have were still there then, but they were all 25 year old. Uh, that video won't see the day of light, uh, but it was hilarious. And uh, some of us staff have used that as blackmail on a couple of the older guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how do you make sure that the core members stay healthy and happy over this length of a tour? Like, this is 60 days long. And, like, these kids are athletes doing extraordinary work. How do you make sure that they have the energy and reserves that they need? Blue Devils came up with some absolutes years ago, and I applied them to a Phantom Regiment, and I certainly... Uh, kept the standard when we got here. There's some absolutes that they, they're, they're just absolute non-negotiable. First of all, no member wakes up before wake up time. We never wake up before 8 a.m. Every meal break is at least an hour 
and it's not negotiable. And there will be no task. The members will be assigned no task during mealtimes. Uh, it may be not the most uh, elegant way, but I always say, look, even coal miners get an hour for lunch. Okay. And uh, it's an absolute. Uh, now we've been doing it for so long and the staff has been together so long. They don't question that. Every once in a while you get a young staff member say, Hey, you know, I just want to keep the baritones over on the field for an extra half and run some sets while the food line's going down. Oh, no. If the food line's too long, that member can go sit under the shade tree. They don't need to be staying out in the field. So we have these absolutes. The prop thing, I think all drum corps learn fast. Some learn quicker than others. Uh, we had a set of props. For a while, we started using the props. I don't know if you remember watching the videos of the chairs in 2009 and stuff. Those are all easy to load on load. Then we got some complicated, and we expected the members to set them up, tear them down, and it was, first of all, it was physically pretty taxing. These kids could have got hurt, and it took a long time. And then these members aren't stupid. They've pushed back real fast. And that's when we just had this epiphany. Look, everybody's got two or three little brothers and sisters who would love to come out and help out. Can I get six or eight of them? And we rounded up six or eight, 17, 18 year old brothers and sisters. And they came on to and I had a prop crew and they love it. They set up the prop, they wheel it to the show. All the kids have to do is show up and rehearse. So it was a win-win for everybody, but it changed that. And I saw some other course starting catching on to this. And now I think a lot of people, you know, uh, prop crews. The problem is in the winter guard and the winter drumline scene, the members are still building their props and moving them in and out. But my pushback is, look, indoor color guards and indoor drumlines, they're not touring for 60 days. They're not doing long rehearsal days. On a show day, yeah, they got to rehearse and then they set up the props, roll them in. That's it. In a drum corps, they're doing it today and they're doing it for 60 more days. And like you said, Keith, they're doing these amazingly taxing performances on the field. They're burning calories. They barely have any downtime. And now you want them to also build an entire set, roll out the field and tear it down? No, it's not gonna happen. And it's an absolute. Over the years, there's been many strong relationships made during tour. Some have remained the closest of friends and many even get married and spend the rest of their lives together. John Denovi, who we heard from earlier, met his own wife, Laura, this way. And I'm sure that many of you have a number of examples in your own life. I decided to have Mallory and Thompson Vu of Boston Crusaders shine some light on the concept of the termance. Okay, Mallory introduced me to this term, termance. Is this a, this a regularly used term for, for, for romances that break out on tour? And, uh, or is it just something that Mallory mm-hmm. used in her own personal life? Oh. I'm not the only person who has said those words. <laughs> the tormances. Um, so, in the color guard, oh, no. there was. Um, <laughs> We're going to tell. We are. We're going to talk about this. All right. Sorry. There was. <laughs> there was a rule. There was a rule in the color guard called one boy, one summer. One boy, uh. one summer, and the goal of this rule. Well, I mean, I, it's it's pretty self-explanatory rule. You're allowed to date or try to date one person in the drum corps um, and you get that one shot. You're not allowed to go to someone else because right. the likelihood of some sort of a love triangle type situation mm-hmm. happening is pretty high because you have the same 150 people touring um, for the entire but summer. Do you, 
And so it Absolute was a way, nightmare. It, it was a way of reducing that and, and mitigating the risk of that intense drama. Um, right. And so some people would say that that's where the origins of marriage come from in the first place as well. And society <laughs> needed that concept. <laughs> uh, um, you also have like. Man, that's only one boy one summer. You have but some so, people who are like serial tormentors, though. Like it's a new person, like one boy, one summer meeting, new summer, new boy kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's interesting, though, is that, that that had to come from the color guard, that the brass or the, the, um, the, the, no, the percussion no. were oh, given the same rule. I have another story. Um, oh, no. So uh, I think it was my age out year, uh, 2012. Mm-hmm. We were in Texas. Um, I was with the percussion section during sectionals. I was on the podium um, and I was standing next to one of the percussion staff. And he said, hey, Thompson, listen, so-and-so is really struggling with performance right now. Uh, He's not spending as much time uh, practicing on the bus or during meals or off time with his section uh, because he's in, you know, a relationship with someone on, on, in the core. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not saying, um, you have to, but you know, like if you could, I don't know, stop that or break it in the up and get him to focus more on, you know, his, uh, his craft, you know, that would mm-hmm. be greatly appreciated. I was like, I was like, I can't believe I'm hearing this. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm being asked to break up a tourman's for the sake of performance on on the field. <laughs> Drum majors have all types of jobs. I'm learning. It's a hard job, yeah. way harder than I thought. <laughs> yeah, and is there is there ever any sort of um? And I don't I don't know what are the tours, whatever whatever allow for something like this just through the nature of them but is there ever sort of inter um core tournaments in a way in a way i think that was preferable because <laughs> yeah what that meant what that meant was there was going to be less like drama within your own core okay. of like two people falling out and like them having to see each other for the rest of the tour um if that person was seeing someone from a different core, Mm -hmm. there was a pretty hard firewall there of like, yes, like if things didn't work out with the person on the other core, it didn't, um, you know, there wasn't a double drama inside your own core. You know, I think in drum core, the, the relationships and friendships that you form there are really lifelong. And, and you put that to the test when after everyone ages out, um, and you, and you go, go off into your own, path and your world and when you see each other again whether that's on tour as staff for a different drum corps or you see each other at at finals you know let's say i'm not doing anything i'm just going as a fan but i I have the opportunity to to see um, old friends that i marched with um you know it, it really you you pick up right where you left off you know and and everyone it just falls into such ease you know sharing old stories and it's just a, a really neat community and uh, family that that you really create through drum corps a sincere thank you to all of my guests on this week's episode john denovi austin armstrong pat seidling thompson vu 
and of course my co-producer Mallory Anderson. Thank you as always to my friends at DCI for their support and encouragement with this project. And thank you to everyone who has reached out with positive messages and those that have reached out with even more helpful information for me to continue on my journey. A special shout out to those of you who have been helping me and answering my questions on the Drumcore Coffee Shop Facebook group. If you'd like to contact me, you always can at keat at bandsofireland.com or on Facebook or Instagram at The Global Bandroom. As always... If you've enjoyed this show, I would really encourage you to head over to DCI.org and if you can, make a donation to the March On Fund or to your favourite core or sound sport team this summer. Until the next episode, March On. Finding Drum Corps is produced by The Global Bandroom, a podcast where we chat to band directors and musicians from across the world. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe. Finding Drum Corps is available on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about Finding Drum Corps and all of our incredible guests, follow us at The Global Band Room on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.